So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt powerless? Have you ever felt like you had absolutely no control in a situation or in your life? Yeah, I see lots of heads nodding. I know for me that that feeling drives a lot of people. It drives a lot of people's choices. It drives a lot of people's emotions. That feeling of powerlessness. And, and you know, you can apply that to nearly every area of our lives when we think about what's going on in, in our culture, in our society now. Uh, whatever happened, I, it's okay. I'm going to move. I have this post that's kind of so I'm playing peekaboo with Trista and Jay every, every so often. Um, I think for me, I remember feeling that sense of powerlessness when I was a kid. Um, that sense that I didn't have the strength to, to be who God wanted me to be or to, to be what I wanted for my life. And th- that sense of powerlessness, I think, kind of nudged me in a direction where uh, the heroes in comic books kind of helped me make that connection because here were these people who had no power. They were characters like Peter Parker who was just this punk kid who you know was pushed around and bullied and then has this encounter with a radioactive spider and now all of a sudden this kid who was powerless is now incredibly powered, right? Or you have uh, a guy like Barry Allen who is just this nerdy guy who works for the police department but like in the nerdiest way possible and and he's just this guy who works in the lab and then there's this accident and all of a sudden this thing called the speed force comes in and it, it transforms Barry into Flash. Thank you. All right, good. Or there's this dorky nerd scientist guy who, who has this experience where this, the woman that he loves is in a car accident and the car is on fire and he can't do anything to get her out and she dies. And he then commits his life to studying how people in, in, in stress-filled situations are given that boost of energy that they need to lift a car to save a loved one and, and he discovers that there's this connection with gamma radiation. And this nerd named Bruce has this accident that happens. And gamma radiation gives Bruce the boost. Uh, because he becomes the Hulk, right? Um, and, you know, I think about, uh, you know, all of those that became heroes who were powerless. And then God, or not God, but in the comic book story, we're going to talk about how God fills us with power getting ahead of myself, but they have these encounters, these experiences that enable them to do amazing things. And so this morning, you know, you may have felt powerless in your life from time to time. Um, maybe you, had, you wish that you had the power to stop something from happening. You wish that you had the power to do something that, that you, you feel like you were supposed to do. Where does that power come from? How do we get it? And, and how do we experience that kind of life-changing power? Now, I'm not uh, endorsing going out and playing with radioactive spiders 
or gamma radiation because that will most likely not give you superpowers. It will give you cancer and you'll die because um, that's the comic books. But there is a power that is absolutely available to us right now, today, that can enable us, empower us to be the people that God has called us to be, to do the things that God has called us to do. Um, so I want to unpack the word a, a little bit because the, the Bible teaches that we have access to a power source that is greater than the speed force. We have access to a power source that is greater than gamma radiation, that is greater than coming from the planet Krypton. And that is available to every single one of you sitting here in this room today. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14. If you have your paper Bibles or you have your electric Bibles, um, we're, going to be, we're going to be in a bunch of passages of Scripture today. But I, I want to walk through how this power became available to every single one of us. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to the disciples and ultimately to us. And so in verses 15 through 21, it says this. Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Who is that? And he tells them, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I am not abandoning you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And since I live, you also will live. And when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So here's the thing. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's getting ready to head to the cross. He knows the cross is coming. And so he's telling the disciples, I've got to go. And he says, if you love me, and again, that sense that in, in, in the, when you look at the original languages, Jesus uh, spoke Hebrew and he spoke Aramaic um, and he uh, probably spoke Latin too, but the, the, the Gospels are recorded uh, in, in Greek and in Aramaic. And the, in the original language, that idea, it says, you know, if you love me, obey my commandments. It has the sense that he's actually saying, as you keep on loving me, it's not if you love me once, if you kind of like me, it's as you continue to love me, obey my commandments. And what I love about that is that what he's saying to us is that if we love him, if we keep on loving him, you won't have any difficulty obeying his commandments. It's when we stop passionately pursuing him, it's when we stop actively engaging in him, that then we start having difficulty obeying what he asks us to do. And so he says, I'm going to send you another advocate. And the word that he used there is the, the Greek word paraclete. And that word is actually a, a legal word. It's kind of like a, a legal advisor. It's, it's one who comes alongside, one who brings comfort, one who brings guidance, one 
who is going to come alongside and, and guide you, a helper. And he says, I'm going to send this helper to you. And, and what is amazing is sometimes people have this idea of the Holy Spirit, and it's like the Holy Spirit's kind of like the force in Star Wars. It's this impersonal energy source that's out there. And Jesus says specifically, he doesn't say that the force is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He says he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, part of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then he says later in John chapter 16, he's telling his disciples, he says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Guide won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Here's the thing that I think is just maybe we miss sometimes is that when Jesus was here, he could only be in one place at one time. He could only be in Jerusalem or in Galilee or in Jericho. And, and depending on how many people you could smash into a room or how many people that he could communicate to in a crowd, Jesus was in one place at one time. And he was letting his disciples know and letting us know that there is, there is more, that, that I can be in every place at every time with every person all the time. That's mind-boggling, right? It kind of makes your head like hurt how he can be completely present with Melinda and with Gary and with John and with me and Mike all at the same time, wherever you're at, wherever you're going through. I, I want to just say a thank you to everyone who prayed uh, for the Kearsbilks. Uh, Danny was in the hospital all last week, and, well, not all last week, but last weekend with this flu has just been horrific. Um, but praise the Lord, Danny's doing much better. Uh, please keep Josh in prayer now because now he's the next Kearsbilk knockdown. Um, just pray for healing for the whole Kearsbilk clan. Just in Jesus' name, be healed. Um, but he's telling them that if I go, I can send this third part of the Trinity, this comforter who will be not just with you. Because Jesus was with them, but he couldn't be in them, right? That would be gross and, and you know, a, a horror movie to have Jesus in you. But he said, I have to go physically, me, I have to go so that I can send the Holy Spirit so that I am with you now, and he's with you now, but when I send him again, when I send him, he will be in you. All of you. Everywhere you go, whenever you, wherever you're at. So, what happens? He is crucified, brutally executed, he dies. He's in the ground for three days, and on the third day, he rises again. He is resurrected from the dead. And for a period of time, he's walking around, showing up, blowing his disciples' uh, whole worldviews out of the water because they they really didn't know what was going to happen. They're a bunch of scared fishermen and tax collectors and losers and outcasts who just don't feel like they have any... Like they're, they're like the nerds of Jewish society who feel completely powerless. Like, what in the world are we going to be able to do? And then Jesus says this, on the last day that he's with him, with the disciples, in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, he says, So when the apostles and the other disciples were with Jesus, 
They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They're still thinking that this was going to be a political thing, that they were going to kick Rome out, they were going to kick the, the religious system out, and Jesus was going to take over, and they were going to be his posse, kind of ruling things. And they, they still don't get it that his kingdom was not that. And he says to them in verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, he says, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But, but, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think sometimes we, in, in Pentecostal and charismatic churches, uh, this is where things can get weird. And, um, you know, it was interesting, we'll talk about it in, in a minute, but when we think about what happens next for the disciples, he did not tell them that if you go to Jerusalem and pray, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be, is going to give you the ability to do miracles. It's not what he said. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait, and I want you to pray, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit... And he's going to give you the ability to speak in unknown languages. Is that what Jesus said? No. I'm, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to pray. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And when he comes, you're going to be able to know the future. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, I'm going to give you power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That word witnesses in the original Greek it's the word that we get our word martyr from. A martyr is a witness. Someone who witnessed something and is willing to lay their life down for it. And Jesus says, you will be my martyrs, telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as he's doing this, literally he and his disciples are sitting on Mount Olivet. It's a mountain in Israel. It, it looks over the city of Jerusalem. And so... I love the outdoors, I love climbing and hiking and all that kind of stuff. And so there have been times where the boys and I have been on the top of a mountain and you can look out and I can see that mountain peak and that town and that valley and that community and you can see it all from... And so imagine they're on the top of this mountain and Jesus then turns and he points and he says, you're going to... Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was just right over there. They could see Jerusalem from where they were. And for them, Jerusalem was home. And so he's telling them, and he think, I believe he's also telling us, I will give you the power to be my witnesses in your home, in your community, in your neighborhood. That's our Jerusalem. And then he says, in Judea, that's Parma, that's Rochester, that's the, the, this greater part of the, the area where we live that God is going to give us power to be his witnesses in our larger community. And then he says, and then in, Jude, in Samaria, that's kind of like Monroe County. That was actually kind of a, a, an area of Israel that was, they were kind of like the outcasts. They were Jewish, but not quite, because they were Jews who had allowed themselves to marry with, with uh, the other people in the community. And so they worshipped God but they, they didn't worship in Jerusalem because 
they were kind of like half-breeds. And, and the Jews did not like the Sumerians. But he's telling his disciples, you are going to have power to go to your neighborhood and be my witness. You're going to have my power to go to your whole general area to be my witnesses. You're going to have power to go to that other side of the tracks where those people that you don't like to be my witnesses. And then he says to the ends of the earth to, to be missionaries, so that you'll be empowered to go to the, literally, ends of the earth means the ends of the earth. Not just, not just the United States, but wherever God leads you. We, we posted something on Facebook a week or two ago um, about um, having more stamps in your passport than stuff in your house. And uh, this is something that one of my pastors taught us when we were in Ohio that I think is true for, for all of us. Um, if you don't have your passport, you need to get it. I believe that every Christian should have a passport because we use that as an excuse when an opportunity for a missions trip comes up. Oh, I don't have a passport. I can't go, Pastor. If God calls you to go, we need to be ready to go because you don't know when that call will come. And so I know it's expensive, um, but I want to just throw that out there. If you are a follower of Christ, you should have a passport. Right, that's, that's free, not part of what we're talking about. All right, so he tells them, this is what's going to happen, all right? If you, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to wait, and you're going to get power to be my witnesses. Now let's jump to see what happens when they actually go to Jerusalem and wait. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, On the day of Pentecost, this is 50 days after the Passover, it's been you know a month and a half or, or more since all of the things happened at the the cross and the resurrection and the time that he spent and he's ascended now into heaven and they have faithfully gone and prayed in Jerusalem and it says on the day of Pentecost all the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I want to break that down a little bit for us. It says suddenly. They weren't expecting it. They had no idea what this was going to look like. They had no idea how it was going to happen. They just knew Jesus said, go, wait, pray, I will send. And so they're like, okay, God, we will wait, we will pray, you're, you're the one has to do, who has to do the sending. And then suddenly, the sound of a mighty wind. You know what's powerful about that sound of a mighty wind is that, that all the way back in Genesis, it says that when God created the heavens and the earth, that God's Spirit hovered over the, the surface of the waters. It says that in Genesis chapter 1. And that, that word there, is, is called, in Hebrew, it's the word ruach. It's the breath of God, that the breath of God hovers over the earth. And then here, we have this sound of a mighty roar. It's like the breath of God is God is breathing a roar or a reverberation. And then that word, when it says, and his, the, the sound, sound from heaven like a roar of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting you know, we, we think of that word filled, and we're like, yeah, it was filled. It was empty, and now it was filled. But what's so cool about, uh, and, and it's, it's again, it's, it's what we miss sometimes when we just read 
quickly, that word filled is the same word that you would use to describe filling a tub with water or a, a pool with water so that you could then take someone and put them into it to be baptized. That the presence of God filled that upper room like a tub is filled with water so that they could then receive what God was bringing them. And then it says that there was a flame that appeared. And, and uh, in this, the idea of it is, is that somehow, while they're there, in the center of them, like this flame appears. And then at some point, the flame kind of splits. It divides and then goes and rests on each one of them. And now there's like this flame. So I, I don't know, Luke, uh, the one who wrote the book of Acts, is... is probably being blown away by it and then trying to figure out how do I write this down so that people remember what happens here. And what's amazing is that, that, that symbolism that God uses. So he uses the sound of a mighty rushing wind that they can recognize this is the breath of God. And then there's this fire that appears because in a Jewish mind, fire represents the divine presence of God. They had the pillar of fire that they followed for 40 years in the wilderness, and it guided them, it directed them. And now, this, this is a revolutionary thing that is happening, because it was always this fire that was out in front that you followed. And Jesus is telling them, no more following this thing that's outside of you, that's in front of you. What I'm telling you is that I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be in you. And so now the fire is divided and it's split up and now it's hovering over each one that are there in the upper room. And, and the thing about fire is fire purifies, fire refines. And then, after all of that, then we begin to see what we understand is the Pentecostal experience where they begin to speak in unknown languages. And they're worshiping God and they're glorifying God in German and in Hebrew and in uh, who knows what language it was. Uh, but the people that were there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost were from all over the world. And they hear these people worshiping and praising God in their language from home. How do these, how do these simple people from the back country of Israel know my language from, in their minds, the other side of the planet? But it was a testament, a, a, a sign that God was doing something amazing. And the same thing happened um, over and over and over again when we walk through the book of Acts, that, that every time someone experiences this baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is accompanied by this encounter with God that enables people to pray and speak in a language that they don't know. It happened to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and Acts, verses, uh, Acts chapter 11. And, and this was mind-blowing it was for Gentiles. So Cornelius was a Roman, and Cornelius' family were all Romans, and they, uh, they have an encounter with God. They give their hearts to Christ, and then all of a sudden they say, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? And boom, all of the Cornelius' household is now speaking in languages that they don't know, and the Jewish Christians are like, what is going on? He's going to even give this to Gentiles? Then in, in Acts 19, John, uh, the, the Apostle John, he's got his, actually not the Apostle John, uh, John the Baptist has disciples that are in Ephesus, and, and they are more Jewish people, and when they experience the Holy Spirit, 
when they experience the baptism, they speak in other tongues. Then the disciples in Corinth, in Acts chapter 14, these are brand new believers. These are people who have not known Jesus. They've been told about Jesus. They've accepted the truth of who he is. And they're brand new believers. And they, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they speak in other languages. And then in Acts chapter 8, the believers in Samaria, remember the outcasts? The ones that are on the other sides of the track, the ones that, you know, they're like, they're cousins to us, but they're like our weird cousins. Even they, when they experience the Holy Spirit, this, this thing happens to them. And then we have church history for 2,000 years where uh, this experience of, of encountering the Holy Spirit and Him filling us, baptizing us with the Holy Spirit kind of feels like it goes away, but it really doesn't. All throughout uh, the Middle Ages and, um, and, and early Christianity, there are, are recordings of, of these kinds of encounters happening. But for the most part, um, most churches in, in America in the early 1900s, this was not the norm. So we talked about it for a few weeks, about these group of people who are like, we want to be Acts, Book of Acts kinds of Christians. And so, God, if this is something that you have for us, they're in, it's in 1904 to 1906, they're praying, and God, if this is for us, we want to have it too. And the Azusa Street Revival happened, and, and for three years, people from Lutheran churches and Methodist churches and Baptist churches and, and Presbyterian churches were experiencing the same thing that happened in the book of Acts. Um, and it's available to us today. Now here's the thing that I want to make sure that we're clear on, um, that this gift is available to us right here and right now. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in a second. We're actually going to do a whole life group semester on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, our next round. Um, weird is not a spiritual gift. All right? If, if you have been in a Pentecostal church uh, for, for, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and it was like there, were, there was the gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the gift of weird. That then along with it, you did weird things. Um, I think a lot of that is us getting in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. Um, Oh my goodness. I, there was one family uh, that we knew at, at our church that when they would get uh, touched by the Holy Spirit, and, and I don't want to be disrespectful um, or to grieve the Holy Spirit because how they encountered the Holy Spirit it was their thing. It was the way they connected with God. But as a teenager, watching this woman, like literally it was like her head disconnected from her neck as she prayed in tongues and shook. And, and I was like, this is like something out of The Exorcist. Um, this is creepy. It was weird for me to watch. But it, for her, um, it, this is what I, I learned this in Bible college. Mike, I don't know if you remember Brother Pat saying this to us. Um, I don't care how high you jump. I don't care how loud you pray in tongues. When you're done and your feet hit the ground, you had better walk straight. Catch that? I think there are a lot of times, because there are a lot of people that are Pentecostal in their experience, 
And then when you deal with them after service on your way out to the cars, you're like, wait a minute, are you the same person that was just praying in the Spirit and uh, having a word from the Lord, and now you're this mean, nasty person? Um, If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit without the fruits of the Spirit, you are missing the point. Um, So, you know, one of the things in the survey that people asked was, why don't we have the gifts of the Spirit in operation at LifeQuest? We do. All the time. All the time. Um, But I I, want to ask this question. We're going to talk about the fruits in in just a quick second. Um, Me personally, I I know what my spiritual gifts are. Um, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I pray in tongues uh, in my prayer language. I do not have the gift of tongues that is used in a public worship setting where God has ever given me the sense or the urging that I should speak out in a language that I don't know. Um, Scripture allows for that. Scripture says that that can happen. But the only time that it should happen is if there is someone who is in the room who also has the gift of interpretation. So that if I give a message in tongues and there's no one there to give the meaning of it, it's pointless. It's just confusing. And so sometimes in Pentecostal churches, you'll have people who uh, maybe they're just being very exuberant as they're praying in their prayer language, and people confuse that for a public uh, exhortation or a, a public use of the gift of tongues. Um, I, I remember we were at a, a camp out this, this past summer, and people were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there were people who were praying in their prayer language, and someone got upset because there wasn't an interpretation for all of these messages in tongues, and there didn't need to be, because people were praying in their prayer language. They weren't giving a message to the whole church in tongues. Do you understand the difference? I know this is, for if you're here for the first time, I apologize if this is confusing. We can talk after. Um, but this is something that Scripture absolutely uh, lays out as something that is available to every single one of us. Um, and so you may, you may have attended LifeQuest for a very long time and you have never seen someone give a message in tongues with an interpretation on a Sunday morning. I don't know why that hasn't happened here at LifeQuest. If that were to happen, we would be totally okay with that if it were decently done and in order. If God gives you a word in tongues, you need to know that there's someone here who has the gift of interpretation. And if you don't know that, then you need to hold it. You have a question? Absolutely. Uh, and that is absolutely not biblical. Um, to, there, there are some denominations that say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. You're not a follower of Christ. And that is wrong. Uh, because the disciples were with Jesus and were saved when he, in John 17, when he prayed for them and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They had not experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, but they were in Christ. Um, We're getting there. We're getting there. All right, so here's the deal. Having the baptism of the Holy Spirit without the fruits of the Spirit, you're missing the point. What are those fruits of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. 
It says, but the Holy Spirit, I've been singing this song in my head all week long as I've been praying this message, because the fruits of the Spirit is not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit's not a, a banana, right? The fruit of the Spirit is, uh, it, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That, that God, if, if you have experienced God's indwelling and, and his baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, there are so many times that I have met people who, who operated and, and had words of prophecy, spoken tongues out loud at church, and then I can remember countless times in, in Bible school, we would be in chapel and have a move of God's Holy Spirit and people just having incredible encounters with God. And then we would get out of chapel and we'd have to do the long walk, kind of felt like the, the, the long mile uh, to, to, you know, in, in, the, in the green mile, it's that long walk to the execution chamber. Uh, in Bible school, it was the long walk to the cafeteria because we then had to eat that hideous food. It was like being executed. It was terrible. But I remember on that long walk, overhearing conversations that I was like, how in the world were you able to be praying in the Spirit and speaking in a language that you didn't know, and now you're walking down the long walk, and I hear you running down our teachers or other people. It was like, have you completely missed anything that they've taught us here? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter, right? We use it all at weddings, that love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't hold record of any wrongs and it believes the best. You know, that passage was never intended to be used in weddings. It's smack dab in the middle of church discipline and the exercising of the spiritual gifts. And so he's saying that if you speak in tongues, but you don't have love, you are just, a, just somebody out there banging on a cowbell. You're just noise. Here's the thing, too, about fruit, and I want to encourage you in this. Fruit is something that grows on a healthy tree, right? That God wants us to be healthy. You know, there's nothing that I love more than in the fall walking through an orchard here in Hilton and seeing the fruit on the trees. It's beautiful. Um, and that's what God wants for each and every one of us as we talk about this this idea of a spirit-filled life and having his power in us, it then should be manifesting itself in fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Did I get them all? Um, what did I miss? Patience. Thanks. See, I'm, I'm not the patient one, so I've got to develop that fruit. So, so do the gifts operate at LifeQuest? Yes, Absolutely, I want to walk through what the gifts of the Spirit are. There are the serving gifts, gifts of hospitality, gifts of, of administration, and we have serving gifts like nobody's business at LifeQuest. Um, when I think about the people who give of their time and sacrifice week in and week out, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit that you have, you have been blessed with. Those of you that... that, uh, that operate and, and serve here. And I think, you know, a lot of churches, it's the, the crazy 80-20 uh, principle where you have 
20% of a room uh, doing 80% of the work and 80% of people who just walk in and walk out and don't do anything. And when I look at one of the things that we count here, you know, you see uh, us taking attendance. Um, it's not just so that we can report a number, but we're looking at how many people are actively serving at LifeQuest. Not just are you here, but that, that's important. Um, and that percentage for us is easily the flip, that probably 75 to 80% of the people in this room actively do something. Um, and if you're part of the 20% that you come in and, and go out, I'm not going to look around the room, um, there are all kinds of things that you can do to connect here at LifeQuest. I don't know that we'll ever get to 100%. would be amazing. I think the moment we cross that threshold, that 100%, like Jesus was going to come back that day. Um, so if you want to speed up the rapture, get involved. Um, I don't know if that's true, because Jesus told his disciples no one knows that day, so I can't really say that. There's serving gifts. There's foundation gifts. Foundation gifts are the five-fold ministry that, that God talks about, that he gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And, and we have all of those at LifeQuest. We have people who, uh, apostles are people who are church planters, people who have a relationship with other pastors in other communities. Uh, I'm not making myself a capital A apostle, um, but that's a gift that I have. Um, we have people who, I believe Jamie absolutely has the heart of a pastor, that the caring for people, shepherding for people. We have people who work in the prophetic. Uh, Gary, I, I see you operating as, as kind of like the, the life quest. I'm not putting a mantle on you or anything weird. Again, weird is not a spiritual gift. But you operate in the prophetic. Uh, we have people who have a, a heart for the lost, that, 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 that consumes what they do. It's what they're about, reaching lost people. That's an evangelist gift, foundational gifts. The revelatory gifts, those are the ones where God imparts or reveals information to be used to guide, warn, correct, and encourage the church and bring glory to God. We have that happen all the time too. It just may not look like it because it's not weird um, and it's not a big showy thing where some people, it's like, if I have something from God, I need to be able to stand up in the middle of the room and say, thus saith the Lord, right? It's kind of like the guy who got up in church and he said, thus saith the Lord, just as Noah parted the Red Sea, God is going to part the waters for you. And his wife elbowed him and she said, you idiot, it was Moses. Oops, saith the Lord, it was Moses, right? It was not about God at that moment. It was about, hey, look at me. I'm going to give this prophetic word. Um, there are many, many times where uh, people have come to me and said, I really feel like God wants to say something. Is it okay to say that? And, and we will test it. That's one of the things that Scripture says, that if you have a word for someone, bring it to the elders and let them judge it. Let them see, is this what God is saying? And, and, and it may be that God gives you something, but it may not be for right now. It may not be for everyone. Um, and so sometimes you'll see people come to Jamie and I before a service and they'll say, hey, I think, I think God wants to say something to us today. Do you think that that fits with what we're doing? And we will say yes, absolutely. Uh, and sometimes we'll let that person actually get up and give it. Sometimes they're too afraid to do it. And, and they'll say, could you share it? And, and we have done that. Um, we also have instructed the worship team that every Sunday morning we want to carve out space 
for the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so there will be times in our worship where there are lulls uh, in our worship service that are designed specifically that if God has something he wants to say to us, God, we want to make room for that to happen. Typical Pentecostal churches uh, don't have the time constraints that we have, right? We've got to be out of this building by 1 o'clock. And so a lot of times a Pentecostal service, you get to those kinds of experiences after the second or the third hour. Um, I've been part of those churches. Um, I'm actually really glad that we have a hard stop because you do not have to be eternal to be divine. That if the Holy Spirit has something to say to us, he can say it in the hour and a half, two hours that we have on Sunday morning. We don't have to be here till four to have the Holy Spirit speak to us. Right? All right. And then there's the manifestation gifts, the miraculous gifts, where people are healed supernaturally by God's holy power. Right? People who have cancer, who get prayed for, and the doctors can't explain it, but they are healed. Have we had that happen here? Yeah. So are the gifts here at LifeQuest? Absolutely they are. Absolutely they are. All right, quickly, because I'm running out of time. I'm going to jump um, to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. This is kind of our, our, our last part of it. It says, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when you get drunk, you walk differently, don't you, Matt? Drunk people walk differently. When you have to make them walk the line, can they walk? Right? Uh, drunk people, um, drunk people talk differently, don't they? Uh, yeah, sorry. Not because Matt drinks or he gets drunk. Um, Matt is a Gates police officer, and so he deals with drunk people on a regular basis. Uh, that's why. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to pray for Matt. Um, no. Matt deals with drunk people, and, and in his encounters with drunk people, they don't walk the right way. They don't talk the right way, right? When someone's drunk, they say things that they wish that they would never have said if they were sober, right? And so what Paul is saying is that, look, when you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, don't be drunk with wine. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and He will make you talk different and He will make you walk different and He will make you think different. He will make you act different. We have an opportunity. And, and you know, sometimes when we think about, God, I feel powerless. Like, I don't have the strength to make it through another day. I don't have the strength to deal with this difficult situation or this difficult relationship or this job situation, or even just my own personal walk with you, God, I don't know how I can do this. You can't. You're powerless unless you invite the Holy Spirit into your life to give you the power to be his witnesses. So being a spirit-filled Christian, uh, 
having spiritual gifts does not make you a better Christian than someone who has not experienced them. We are all going to get to heaven. It's one of those things where uh, when we get to heaven, there are going to be people there that you're like, you made it? And there are going to be people there who think they're going, that when we get there, we're like, wait, where's... Because they, they, they had a great show, but I don't know that they... they maybe they had uh, an idea of what it meant to be a Christian, but they didn't allow the fruits of the Spirit to shape their lives. If you feel powerless today, maybe you haven't accessed all that God has for you. It does not make you a super Christian better than anyone else. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't make you more saved because the gifts of the Spirit have nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him. He says that we must decrease so that He can increase. I just want to imagine with you for a second, what would it look like if everyone here at LifeQuest lived a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? What would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to wake up tomorrow and to be able to walk through your day filled with the Holy Spirit in your job, with your kids, with your spouse? What would it look like? What would it feel like to have that same kind of power to be his witnesses in Hilton and in Parma and in Monroe County and to the world? Because he doesn't fill us so that we can feel good or that we can say, oh, check, I got this gift. He fills us so that we can be his witnesses. He fills us and empowers us so that we can bring glory to God. That's what it's about. I love this. This was written in an article um, from the early days of the Azusa Street Revival. I want to close with this. It says, When the Holy Ghost fell on the 120, it was the morning of the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. Today, this was in 1906, we are living now in the evening of the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. As it was in the morning, so shall it be in the evening. This is the last evangelistic call of the day. May God work among us in such a way that a Sousa Street will only be a shower compared to what he gives today. That he has so much for us. We have to be willing to say, Father, I need this. Holy Spirit, I need you in my life every single day. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap up this morning, there's three ways that I think you want us to respond. Lord, there may be people here today that they have never invited Jesus to be their Savior. They've never asked him to forgive their sins. They've never invited him to be that that guiding force in their lives. And, And not just a guiding force, but Father, your word says that if we do not get our sin taken care of, that we are forever separated from you. So Father, today, I pray for those that, that have never asked Jesus Christ into their life, that, that they would simply pray a very simple prayer, Jesus, forgive me. Make me new. Come and fill me. Father, I think the second thing that you would have us do to respond is that we would ask for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe they're here this morning and they've never done that, they've never experienced that. All I'm asking is, is that you would give them the faith to ask, 
say, Father, if this is what you want for me, and it's a gift from my good, good Father, that you would give it. Whether that happens here at LifeQuest or tonight when they go to bed or, or next Sunday when they come early to the prayer room to pray before service, Father, you would give them this good, good gift. You would empower us to be your witnesses. And then thirdly, Father, I think that you would have us, each of us, identify what our spiritual gifts are. We wouldn't be blind to what you've wired us to be. And that we would then take those spiritual gifts and we would use them for your kingdom here at LifeQuest Community Church and in our community. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us the faith that we need to step out, whether it's inviting you into our lives for the first time or inviting you to come and and baptize us in the Holy Spirit like you did in Acts or like you did at the Azusa Street or like you did for me as a kid at youth convention. Father, the, the, the faith to be willing to say, what are my spiritual gifts? God, what do I have? What is my part in the kingdom of God? Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are powerless without the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, I'm going to send out an email to, to everyone at LifeQuest tomorrow with a, a link to a spiritual gifts inventory. It will take you about five or ten minutes to do. Um, and it's just simple questions and you just kind of scale it. This is me. This is absolutely not me. Um, if you are... Uh, concerned about the spiritual gifts inventory because it doesn't ask any questions about the gift of tongues or interpretation. Um, It intentionally doesn't ask those kind of questions because if you have that gift, you already know you have that gift. Um, So they don't need to ask you those questions. So it will kind of give you an idea of what your spiritual gifts are. I would really encourage you to take it. Um, And then if you're comfortable sharing that with us, it helps us know what to do uh, when we know where your giftings are. Josh. Sorry we went over five minutes. You're the Mongolian horde. I can hear them running around upstairs. Uh, so uh, if you've got kids, please go, go rescue our kids' workers. Uh, they've been up there for two hours and five minutes. Um, <laughs> blessings. Have a great week.